0: Peace of Christ to you all. Now, Some of you um, uh, may be wondering why there are two people um, uh, up here coming to preach. And uh, you will be amazed that there are two preachers to preach today. And some of you now are like, oh man, what does that mean? How long are we going to be here? You, you, miracles still happen. So you'll... Uh, um, but last week, Lisa Duke, who's part of the staff support team, she gave an update from the staff support team and a discernment process of seeking um, God's uh, leading for our um, uh, associate uh, assistant pastor position here and told you last week that someone will be coming up to preach uh, with me um, as just part of that um, process. And so that's who Pastor Dennis Hall is uh, up here, reaching with me. Welcome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, Dennis, uh, Dennis and I met in the late 90s when we were both serving different churches in Charlotte, um, North Carolina. And it's a couple months ago that I called Dennis and said, yeah, um, this is what the position looks like this is what we're about and and knowing dennis and his history knew that he might know some folks that would be able to do that no not knowing thinking that he was serving in a particular church um that but then in our conversation it quickly turned to say um that he wasn't serving there and so i uh felt that was a call of the spirit to say hey we'll maybe then you could um, talk with me about this particular... So the conversation changed quickly, and so we've been through... uh I've visited here once before um, recently and been through a number of other um, conversations mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of folks, and so we're just in this discernment process of seeking God's leading together. Amen. So um, I invite you to join in that process, and let's do so by... Uh, praying together now. Almighty God, we thank you that you do lead us, um, that you don't leave us to our own devices, uh, that you send your Spirit um, upon us, you give us your Word, and every time that we gather together, we want to seek um, and discern your leading, uh, your direction, your will, because there is, there, is, there is nothing else besides your will. Um, There is not life found anywhere else but in you. And so as we gather each Sunday and gather around your word and seek to hear your direction for us, um, that you would open our minds, our hearts, and ready our feet and hands to to hear, respond, and to do uh, what you're calling us to do. And we lift up uh, this time and lift up uh, Dennis and the Hall family as well, specifically for that call of discernment for um, us as a church for them as a family and how you would best lead us um, in every way to be brave in you to be your your church that is brave and bold strong and courageous in the name of Jesus we pray amen well as Cedric said today is is Pentecost and um, and that is the day when, in a sense, uh, God the Son hands the baton to God the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples. He's, he, you know, he died. He was raised from the dead. And he's been living with them, appearing to them, teaching them. And now he says, now you go wait in Jerusalem. The Spirit will come upon you. And then Jesus ascends from them. He leaves them, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And now the Spirit comes down and dwells in us in order to empower us. As we were just singing, it's not by our might, not by our power, not by our intelligence or strategy, but it is by the Spirit of God then that we are made brave um, for doing His will. It's by His Spirit that He takes a bunch of knuckleheads like us and fills us and, and enables us to be a demonstration. Can you believe it? I mean, you know some of the people sitting next to you. Can you believe that God fills them <laughs> and makes them a demonstration of His grace and truth? Yeah. <laughs> that one will say maybe a little too much meaning. We, we won't go into that one. But that is what it means to be a brave Church that His Spirit fills us, and so that's what we look at now. And Acts chapter two. Found your pew Bible on page eight hundred and eighty-five, or you can follow along on the, the screen. And I'll read the, the the first part, and you can see when I get about halfway through how I got the short end of the stick on this one. I got the, the we cast lots, and I lost. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And in filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them. that we hear each of us in our own native languages. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. This is the part that I said I got the short end of the stick. But you know my rule. Just act like you know what you're saying, and nobody knows the difference. (laughs) Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine.
1: And I will start reading in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away everyone whom the Lord our God caused to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone. Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any who had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is God's word.
0: Thanks be to God. Now what we're going to to do not only today but over the course of the next uh, um, four Sundays in June is look at the characteristics that we see from the, the birth of the church in, uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and see what are the characteristics of a brave church. Uh, today we'll give a, a quick overview and then the next Sunday's following we'll dig deep into each of the four. But each one begins with an M. And the, the first one that uh, we'll look at here is that a brave church is multiplying. A, a brave church is, is one that is ready to pursue sharing the love of Jesus with others. It, it, it Intentionally engage with those outside the, the church for the purpose of sharing the love of Jesus so that they will turn to Him, that they will follow Him as well and, and be added to their numbers. A brave church is not deterred by busy schedules or full lives or the possibility of rejection. We're not deterred from, from sharing Christ with others. A brave church makes it a point to encourage, challenge, and, and support one another. Every family, every individual, to pass the faith on to our children and grandchildren, to our, our spouses, to our parents, to our grandparents. We make it a point to, to multiply the faith in that way. That's what a brave church does. Look at verse 38 um, that, we were, that we just read. And, and you see in the very beginning... The brave, a brave church is, is multiplying and, and it's it's passed on to the initial converts. I mean, what, what, what you see here is that Peter, after preaching, then the people say, well, what must we do to be saved? And he tells them, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, that your sins may be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking to the new converts you know, so there was, there was 120 that were gathered at Jesus' ascension and right afterwards. And there was 120 gathered when the Spirit came upon him. And then the, they started speaking in tongues. Peter preached. And now he's talking to the multitude that have gathered who've, who've been brought to Jesus at this point. So they're brand new converts. They're not professional Christians. They're not people on the platform. They're, they're people who are just like all of us. Knuckleheads. Yeah, who are now coming to Jesus. And so look, from the very beginning, they're told, you'll be multiplying. For the the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Him. So right there, He's telling them, now you take that. Now you pass it to the people that are near you, and all the people that will cross your path... A brave church is one that multiplies. And in our day, we can be concerned and fearful of the raised eyebrow, but in the first century, they were fearful of the raised sword. So it's a brave church then that testifies to the love of Jesus in word and in deed to those that are around them. A brave church multiplies. And what you, you see then at the, the, the very end of the passage then is really the, the, tells the whole story. There's the 120 that are gathered at the beginning, and by the end of the day, we're told that about 3,000 persons have been added to their number. A brave church is a multiplying church.
1: The second aspect that we find in our call to be a brave church is God calls us to be missional. And you may ask, what does missional mean? Missional means one that is being sent for a greater purpose. Now, I want to give a little illustration of that. Um, Children know about this and we husbands know about this. When our wives ask us to go get something, we're being sent by a greater authority. <laughs> Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> and, you know, and children as well know when, you know when your parents send you, you know, they're sitting next to the couch and uh, their glass of water is just only two feet away, yet they'll call the child from downstairs to go get them the <laughs> glass of water. You're being sent <laughs> by a greater authority. Well, God is calling us to be brave and he's, asking us and instructing us by the power of the Spirit that we're to be missional, that he's sending us. And he gives us the greatest illustration in himself. The Father himself sent the Son. We all know this famous scripture, um, John three 16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Have everlasting life. Our God is a missional God. So much so that that he sent his only son to come to this earth for a great purpose. And his son Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, became incarnational, meaning God himself became man so that he could relate to people. And in the same way God is sending us, into our society and into our world. To be incarnational, we represent a, an authority greater than us. And then we're to represent, and, and I wanna share this, this whole representation and being our incarnational comes to this language uh, that we find in scripture. Do we, do we have that here? Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I believe God in his sovereignty used the Holy Spirit to do a supernatural act among ordinary people by having them to speak in these different languages. But these different languages really tell us that they were being incarnational because people heard their language from these strangers. Have you have you ever heard of that idiom, now they're speaking my language? Have you have you ever said that? Man, you're speaking my language. Th- that is a way of saying you get me. You understand, you know <laughs> we, we see eye to eye, you you know, you're you're feeling me. God is calling us and enabling us by the power of his spirit that we can speak the language of our society. Now we got to be careful because God isn't asking us to change the message. But when we come to society and we're creative, God sometimes is asking us to change our methods, getting to understand, getting to relate to those that may be different from us so that they will hear their language. And the hopes in hearing their language is, is gaining that, that trust and, and, and that relationship that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I want to share an example of just how hearing their language will endear a people to you. I, I was a uh, short-term missionary in Pakistan. How many of you know where Pakistan is? Next to India. and I mean, you're hearing a lot about it these days. Well, I, I spent six months there, and I was teaching English to refugees from Afghanistan and from Iran. And most of my students were part of the Mujahideen. The Mujahideen uh, is right now is the modern day Taliban. I'm sure you've heard of the Taliban. Uh, and so I was teaching those students English. And, and so one of the things that the Lord inspired me to do was to try to learn some of their language. So I would go into the classroom and I would say something like this. You know, and some of the kids, they would chuckle, they would laugh, you know, because I was butchering their language. <laughs> so, but, but even greater than me trying to learn their language, even teach them English, me trying to learn their language said something to them. It said, this is more than a guy trying to teach us. This is someone who's trying to relate to us. College Hill in the same way. God is asking us to learn a language. A language motivated out of love of how to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this takes bravery. Coming out of our comfort zone to learn a new way of thinking, a a new way of acting. But all in the hopes of winning some to Christ. So church, he's calling us to be missional, to be brave. So that we might reach the loss so that the loss might be saved.
0: A brave church is multiplying. A brave church is missional. And a brave church is multicultural. It's one that includes the world. And is intentional about including the world. I mean... That's the reason that Luke went to all the trouble to give all the names of these different countries. It wasn't just to tongue tie us. It was to present clearly that at the very beginning, the gospel was for everyone. And that the church was to include all types and kinds uh, from all four corners of Of the world and all four corners of the neighborhood. Each of those nations. They were listing really all the nations that in the first century they would have known. And even the different kinds of people who were there. Takes a brave church. Then... And it takes a brave church now to say that Jesus is our identity. And there is no element of who we are. Not the color of our skin, not the amount of money in our background, in our bank accounts, not the country of our origin, not our political convictions. All of those are secondary to being in Jesus. And you see, when the Spirit comes upon the church, it bravely brings all together in Him. Now, I, I believe that the, the church in general, the church um, in the United States, for the most part, has been not brave, but really sort of cowardly when it comes to engaging, being a multicultural church. Now, they're not in this church or many other churches that I'm aware of. where they actively pursuing some homogenous, let's just all be like one another. That it was really their thought process or in their bylaws. For the most part, it's cowardly. We've been cowardly in the church in general because we've just avoided it. Well, let's not talk about that. You know, that... I mean, I even had, and I've shared with you before. When I first came here, um, I had two people who were sort of church consultants, sort of talking about and sort of sharing, uh, just talking about what vision and where you think God's leading and that kind of stuff. And they said to me, "Oh, don't do that. Don't don't go down the, the multicultural pathway. It's just too controversial. It'll be too hard." And, and I remember I was just tongue-tied. I, I was shocked. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, I was speechless. Because, and as I you know, woke up from that, I thought, well, wait a minute. What, what were they saying? They were saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not powerful enough to overcome those social walls that we put up. It was a denial of Pentecost. It was a denial of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we all know, I mean, it We've been doing for uh, several months now a gathering, every, uh, try to do it every second Wednesday of the month where we listen to one another about race, where we just stop and, and talk to each other and listen to one another, understanding one another, different backgrounds and perspectives just to hear one another. And, you know, each time we, we meet, we go way long because the headlines give us so much to talk about. You know, it's just every week something comes. It shows us how broken we are as a country, as a nation, that this, this, we don't know how to talk about this. I mean, and it's time for the church to be brave in the power of the Spirit and take the lead and saying, no, we're, we're, we'll show how we'll seek by the power of the Spirit to be a community of people. Uh, From all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different financial backgrounds, all different uh, races and ages. All all different ways that we enter into and leave a sanctuary can come together. (laughs) Because Jesus is greater than all of those things. A brave church from its very beginning. This is the way we've always done it. From its very beginning. It's been
1: multicultural. And the last M that we glean from this powerful scripture is maturing. In other words, the Holy Spirit says, church, grow up. God is calling us to grow in Christ, to grow in intimacy, to grow in our fellowship with Him and with others. And you know, you may wonder, you know, that's, That doesn't seem to be brave to grow up. But how many of you know, how many of us men know who still like our toys? Sometimes it's brave to throw away your toy and become a man. God is calling his church to be brave, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to mature. I want to share with you uh, verse 42, just just to, to dissect this a little bit. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The day of Pentecost reminds us of the Holy Spirit's empowering for the church to mature. God is calling us to grow up. But it's not the type of maturing where we just have Bible study and we sing Kumbaya and you know, we just hug each other every Sunday and then we go home. It's a type of maturity that... That God is calling us to come out of ourselves. You know, he's calling us to, to teach. Not only to be taught and to receive, but he's calling the church to teach. One of, one of the things that the church of Jesus Christ is facing today, and, I, and I'm sure you're, you are exposed to it, is who is Jesus? You know, we're here in all different camps defining who Jesus is, and most of them that we're hearing. He's beginning to look a lot like them. God is looking for a maturing church who's willing to teach, who's willing to share, to define who Jesus is. First you say, who he is in me? This is a maturing process. But, but, but part of this scripture that I really wanted to point out was the first part is where it says they devoted themselves. It's a Greek word called proskiterio. And in this Greek word is where we get the word devoted. But But inferred in this word is that it 's going to get tough, that this maturing process isn 't always easy. How many of you know it's not always easy to tell this secular world that we love Jesus mm-hmm. or, 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 or or maybe to live a lifestyle that 's not uh, complementary to others' lifestyle? How many know that it gets difficult but but this word prosqueo pros- 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 Kind of rusty on my rusty on my Greek. (laughs) It 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 just has this inference of commitment that we're committed. We're committed to be brave. We're committed to grow in Christ. We're committed to teach and we're committed to share Christ with the world. And the next part is fellowship, koinonia. We all know that word. That the Holy Spirit is drawing us into community. One of the one of the the greatest. Sayings that I've heard is, is that they'll know that we're Christians by what? By the love that we have. In the early church, and, and, and they were surrounded by paganism. You know, we think we're living in a, a, a pretty bad society now. Do you know this church was birthed in the, by the Holy Spirit in a society that was much worse than this? You know, where there was pagan prostitution, where they were killing infants openly? And this is the context in which the church was born. And you know how many people came to know the Lord? Was through the fellowship of believers and the fellowship where they saw believers loving one another. They said, oh, how they loved. And how, oh, how they loved each other. It's a maturing process to get along when things aren't so wonderful. When there's conflict in the church. How many know there's conflict in the church? Come on, say amen, somebody. <laughs> but you know what? God knew there was going to be conflict. But we're committed to mature one with another, to fellowship with one another, even in the midst of conflict. You know, I, earlier I used marriage as, as a great illustration. Marriage, a lot of times, is riddled with conflict and, and riddled with Disagreement. But God has called us to be committed, to be devoted to one another, and in that process, iron sharpens iron. What happens? We mature, we grow. God is calling His church to grow. Breaking bread— one of my favorites. This has a double meaning. What the major? They had communion on a daily basis, and you know what that communion represented? It represented the cross of Jesus. They remembered daily. The death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. College Hill, never forget the cross. Never forget the cross. That is the foundation of what we preach. It's the foundation of what we believe. That Jesus died and rose and, and, and came back a conquering king. If we ever leave out the cross, we're no church. But they remember daily by the breaking of bread, by having communion... They remember the cross, the death, the suffering, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And also the breaking of bread. They ate meals with each other. What a powerful time of fellowship and family when you eat around the table. All the differences. We just talked about being a multicultural church. All the differences seem to to go away when you're eating fried chicken. (laughs) I'm kind of telling on myself. (laughs) But isn't it the truth? When you're around the table and, 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 and you're having a meal, differences seem to go away. And lastly, prayer. Holy Spirit initiated prayer. Isn't that something that, that is the foundation of the church as we see the birth of the church is prayer. College Hill, all that we do and all who we are is the foundation, is our communion with God is prayer. Let's be brave. Let's be brave and seek God, not only for him to hear what we have to say, but the times when we need to hear what he has to say. That's being brave. When you want to do the things you want to do, yet you stop yourself and you say, maybe God has a different way. Let's seek him in prayer. That's being a brave church. College Hill, are we ready? Are we ready to be brave by the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's the wonderful thing. We have Acts 1.8. You know, Jesus promised, you don't have to do this on your own strength. You don't have to muster up all your strength to do this. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses. So I want us to go through those four. If if, if you can say, what's, what's the first? Multiply. Multiply. Okay, let's say that all together. Ready? Multiply. Multiply. What's the second? Missional. What's the third? Multicultural. Multicultural, obviously, multiethnic. And what's the last? Maturity. Maturity. Let's stand. Let's make that commitment that we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to be brave. And this is our memory verse. As as. As we continue on with this series of of being brave by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's read this together, and this will be our memory verse. But But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit Spirit has come come upon you,
0: and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and and Samaria, and and to the the ends of the earth, earth.
1: To the glory and to the majesty of God, he's calling us to be brave.